Chapter 6 of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 3, by Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 6 of Conspiracies. It were an omission not to say something on the subject of conspiracies, these being a source of much danger both to princes and to private men. For we see that many more princes have lost their lives and states through these than in open warfare. Power to wage open war upon a prince being conceded to few, whereas power to conspire against him is denied to none. On the other hand, since conspiracies are attended at every stage by difficulties and dangers, no more hazardous or desperate undertakings can be engaged in by any private citizen, whence it comes that once many conspiracies are planned, few effect their object. Wherefore, to put princes on their guard against these dangers, and to make subjects more cautious how they take part in them, and rather learn to live content under whatever government fortune has assigned them, I shall treat of them at length, without omitting any noteworthy circumstance which may serve for the instruction of either. Though, indeed, this is a golden sentence of Cornelius Tacitus, wherein he says that, the past should have our reverence, the present our obedience, and that we should wish for good princes, but put up with any. For assuredly whoever does otherwise is likely to bring ruin both on himself and on his country. But to go deeper into the matter, we have first of all to examine against whom conspiracies are directed, and we shall find that men conspire either against their country or their prince, and it is of these two kinds of conspiracy that at present I desire to speak. For of conspiracies we have for their object the surrender of cities to enemies who are besieging them, and of all others contrived for like ends I have already said enough. First, then, I shall treat of those conspiracies which are directed against a prince, and begin by inquiring into their causes, which are manifold, but of which one is more momentous than all the rest, I mean the being hated by the whole community. For it may reasonably be assumed that when a prince has drawn upon himself this universal hatred, he must also have given special offence to particular men, which they will be eager to avenge and this eagerness will be augmented by the feeling of general ill-will which the prince is seen to have incurred. A prince ought, therefore, to avoid this load of public hatred. How he is to do so, I need not stop here to explain, having discussed the matter already in another place. But if he can guard against this, offence given to particular men will expose him to but few attacks, one reason being that there are few men who think so much of an injury done them as to run great risks to revenge it. Another, that assuming them to have both the disposition and the courage to avenge themselves, they are restrained by the universal favor which they see entertained towards the prince. 
injuries are either to a man's life to his property or to his honor as regards the first they who threaten injuries to life incur more danger than they who actually inflict them or rather while great danger is incurred in threatening none at all is incurred from inflicting such injuries for the dead are past thinking of revenge and those who survive for the most part leave such thoughts to the dead but he whose life is threatened finding himself forced by necessity either to do or suffer becomes a man most dangerous to the prince as shall be fully explained hereafter after menaces to life injuries to property and honor stir men more than any others and of these a prince has most to beware for he can never strip a man so bare of his possessions as not to leave him some weapon wherewith to redress his wrongs nor ever so far dishonor him as to quell the stubborn spirit which prompts revenge of all dishonors those done to the women of a household are the worst after which come such personal indignities as nerved the arm of pausanias against philip of macedon and of many another against other princes and in our own days it was no other reason that moved giulio bellanti to conspire against pandolfo lord of siena than that pandolfo who had given him his daughter to wife afterwards took her from him as presently shall be told chief among the causes which led the pazzi to conspire against the medici was the law passed by the latter depriving them of the inheritance of giovanni bandrome another most powerful motive to conspire against a prince is the desire men feel to free their country from a usurper this it was which impelled brutus and cassius to conspire against caesar and countless others against such tyrants as phalaris dionysius and the like against this humour no tyrant can guard except by laying down his tyranny which as none will do few escape an unhappy end whence the verses of juvenal few tyrants die a peaceful death and few the kings who visit proserpine's dread lord unscathed by wounds and blood great as i have said already are the dangers which men run in conspiring for at all times they are in peril whether in contriving in executing or after execution and since in conspiracies either many are engaged or one only for although it cannot properly be said of one man that he conspires there may exist in him the fixed resolve to put the prince to death it is only the solitary plotter who escapes the first of these three stages of danger for he runs no risk before executing his design since as he imparts it to none there is none to bring it to the ear of the prince a deliberate resolve like this may be conceived by a person in any rank of life high or low base or noble and whether or no he be the familiar of his prince for every one must at some time or other have leave to speak to the prince and whoever has this leave has opportunity to accomplish his design pausanias of whom we have made mention so often slew philip of macedon as he walked between his son and his son-in-law to the temple surrounded by a thousand armed guards Pausanias indeed was noble and known to the prince, but Ferdinand of Spain was stabbed in the neck by a poor and miserable Spaniard, 
and though the wound was not mortal it sufficed to show that neither courage nor opportunity were wanting to the would-be assassin a dervish or turkish priest drew his scimitar on bajazet father of the sultan now reigning and if he did not wound him it was from no lack either of daring or of opportunity and i believe that there are many who in their minds desire the deed no punishment or danger attending the mere wish though there be but few who dare do it for since few or none who venture escape death few are willing to go forward to certain destruction but to pass from these solitary attempts to those in which several are engaged i affirm it to be shown by history that all such plots have been contrived by men of great station or by those who have been on terms of close intimacy with the prince since no others not being downright madmen would ever think of conspiring for men of humble rank and such as are not the intimates of their prince are neither fed by the hopes nor possessed of the opportunities essential for such attempts because in the first place men of low degree will never find any to keep faith with them none being moved to join in their schemes by those expectations which encourage men to run great risks wherefore so soon as their design has been imparted to two or three they are betrayed and ruined or assuming them fortunate enough to have no traitor of their number they will be so hampered in the execution of their plot by the want of easy access to the prince that they are sure to perish in the mere attempt for if even men of great position who have ready access to the prince succumb to the difficulties which i shall presently notice those difficulties must be infinitely increased in the case of men who are without these advantages and because when life and property are at stake men are not utterly reckless on perceiving themselves to be weak they grow cautious and though cursing the tyrant in their hearts are content to endure him and to wait until some one of higher station than they comes forward to redress their wrongs so that should we ever find these weaklings attempting anything we may commend their courage rather than their prudence we see however that the great majority of conspirators have been persons of position and the familiars of their prince and that their plots have been as often the consequence of excessive indulgence as of excessive injury as when perennius conspired against commodus plautianus against severus and sejanus against tiberius all of whom had been raised by their masters to such wealth honors and dignities that nothing seemed wanting to their authority save the imperial name that they might not lack this also they fell to conspiring against their prince but in every instance their conspiracies had the end which their ingratitude deserved the only instance in recent times of such attempts succeeding is the conspiracy of jacopo the fourth da piano against messer piero gambacorti lord of pisa for jacopo who had been bred and brought up by piero and loaded by him with honours deprived him of his state similar to this in our own days was the conspiracy of coppola against king ferdinand of aragon for coppola had reached such a pitch of power that he seemed to himself to have everything but sovereignty 
in seeking to obtain which he lost his life, though if any plot entered into by a man of great position could be expected to succeed, this certainly might, being contrived, as we may say, by another king, and by one who had the amplest opportunities for its accomplishment. But that lust of power, which blinds men to dangers, darkened the minds of those to whom the execution of the scheme was committed, who, had they only known how to add prudence to their villainy, could hardly have missed their aim. The prince, therefore, who would guard himself against plots, ought more to fear those men to whom he has been too indulgent than those to whom he has done great wrongs. For the latter lack opportunities which the former have in abundance, and the moving cause is equally strong in both, lust of power being at least as strong a passion as lust of revenge. Wherefore a prince should entrust his friends with so much authority only as leaves a certain interval between his position and theirs, that between the two something be still left them to desire. Otherwise it will be strange if he do not fare like those princes who have been named above. But to return from this digression, I say that having shown it to be necessary that conspirators should be men of great station, and such as have ready access to the prince, we have next to consider what have been the results of their plots, and to trace the causes which have made them succeed or fail. Now, as I have said already, we find that conspiracies are attended by danger at three stages, before, during, and after their execution, for which reason very few of them have had a happy issue. It being next to impossible to surmount all these different dangers successfully, and to begin with those which are incurred beforehand, and which are graver than all the rest, I say that he must be both very prudent and very fortunate who, when contriving a conspiracy, does not suffer his secret to be discovered. Conspiracies are discovered either by disclosures made or by conjecture. Disclosures are made through the treachery or folly of those to whom you communicate your design. Treachery is to be looked for, because you can impart your plans only to such persons as you believe ready to face death on your behalf, or to those who are discontented with the prince. Of men whom you can trust thus implicitly, one or two may be found, but when you have to open your designs to many, they cannot all be of this nature, and their good will towards you must be extreme if they are not daunted by the danger and by fear of punishment. Moreover, men commonly deceive themselves in respect of the love which they imagine others bear them, nor can ever be sure of it until they have put it to the proof. But to make proof of it in a matter like this is very perilous, and even if you have proved it already, and found it true in some other dangerous trial, you cannot assume that there will be the same fidelity here, since this far transcends every other kind of danger. Again, if you gauge a man's fidelity by his discontent with the prince, you may easily deceive yourself, for so soon as you have taken this discontented man into your confidence, you have supplied him with the means whereby he may become contented, so that either his hatred of the prince must be great indeed, or your influence over him extraordinary, if it keep him faithful. Hence it comes that so many conspiracies have been discovered and crushed in their earliest stage, and that when the secret is preserved among many accomplices for any length of time, 
it is looked on as a miracle as in the case of the conspiracy of piso against nero and in our own days in that of the pazzi against lorenzo and giuliano de medici which last though more than fifty persons were privy to it was not discovered until it came to be carried out conspiracies are disclosed through the imprudence of a conspirator when he talks so indiscreetly that some servant or other person not in the plot overhears him as happened with the sons of brutus who when treating with the envoys of tarquin were overheard by a slave who became their accuser or else through your own weakness in imparting your secret to some woman or boy whom you love or to some other such light person as when dimness who was one of those who conspired with philotus against alexander the great revealed the plot to nicomachus a youth whom he loved who at once told sebelinus and sebelinus the king of discoveries by conjecture we have an instance in the conspiracy of piso against nero for scavinus one of the conspirators the day before he was to kill nero made his will liberated all his slaves and gave them money and bade milicus his freedman sharpen his old rusty dagger and have bandages ready for binding up wounds from all which preparations milicus conjecturing what work was at hand accused scavinus before nero whereupon scavinus was arrested and with him natalis another of the conspirators who the day before had been seen to speak with him for a long time in private and when the two differed in their account of what then passed between them they were put to the torture and forced to confess the truth in this way the conspiracy was brought to light to the ruin of all concerned against these causes of the discovery of conspiracies it is impossible so to guard as that either through treachery want of caution or levity the secret shall not be found whenever more than three or four persons are privy to it and whenever more than one conspirator is arrested the plot is certain to be detected because no two persons can perfectly agree in a false account of what has passed between them if only one be taken should he be a man of resolute courage he may refuse to implicate his comrades but they on their part must have no less courage to stay quiet where they are and not betray themselves by flight for if courage be absent anywhere whether in him who is taken or in those still at large the conspiracy is revealed and what is related by titus livius as having happened in the conspiracy against hieronymus tyrant of syracuse is most extraordinary namely that on the capture of one of the conspirators named theodorus he with great fortitude withheld the names of all his accomplices and accused friends of the tyrant while his companions on their part trusted so completely in his courage that not one of them quitted syracuse or showed any sign of fear all these dangers therefore which attend the contrivance of a plot must be passed through before you come to its execution or if you would escape them you must observe the following precautions your first and surest nay to say truth your only safeguard is to leave your accomplices no time to accuse you for which reason you must impart the affair to them only at the moment when you mean it to be carried out and not before those who have followed this course have wholly escaped the preliminary dangers of conspiracies and generally speaking the others also 
Indeed, I may say that they have all succeeded, and that it is open to every prudent man to act as they did. It will be enough to give two instances of plots effected in this way. Nelematus, unable to endure the tyranny of Aristotimus, despot of Epirus, assembling many of his friends and kinsmen to his house, exhorted them to free their country, and when some of them asked for time to consider and mature their plans, he bade his slaves close the doors, and told those assembled that unless they swore to go at once and do as he directed, he would make them over to Aristotimus as prisoners." alarmed by his threats they bound themselves by a solemn oath and going forth at once and without delay successfully carried out his bidding a certain magus having fraudulently usurped the throne of persia ortanus a grandee of that realm discovering the fraud disclosed it to six others of the chief nobility telling them that it behooved them to free the kingdom from the tyranny of this impostor and when some of them asked for time darius who was one of the six summoned by ortanus stood up and said either we go at once to do this deed or i go to the magus to accuse you all whereupon all rising together without time given to any to change his mind they went forth and succeeded in effecting their end not unlike these instances was the plan taken by the Aetolians to rid themselves of Nevis, the Spartan tyrant, to whom, under pretense of succoring him, they sent Alasamenes, their fellow-citizen, with two hundred foot-soldiers and thirty horsemen, for they imparted their real design to Alasamenes only, charging the rest, under pain of exile, to obey him in whatever he commanded. Alessamenes repaired to Sparta, and never divulged his commission till the time came for executing it, and so succeeded in putting Nabis to death. It was, therefore, by the precautions they observed, that the persons of whom I have just now spoken escaped all those perils that attend the contrivance of conspiracies, and any following their example may expect the like good fortune." and that all may learn to do so as they did, I shall notice the case of Piso, of which mention has before been made. By reason of his rank, his reputation, and the intimate terms on which he lived with Nero, who trusted him without reserve, and would often come to his garden to sup with him, Piso was able to gain the friendship of many persons of spirit and courage, and well fitted in every way to take part in his plot against the emperor, which, under these circumstances, might easily have been carried out. For when Nero came to his garden, Piso could readily have communicated his design to those friends of his, and, with suitable words, have encouraged them to do what, in fact, they would not have had time to withdraw from, and was certain to succeed. And were we to examine all similar attempts, it would be seen that there are few which might not have been effected in the manner shown but since most men are very ignorant of practical affairs they commit the gravest blunders especially in matters which lie as this does a little way out of the beaten track wherefore the contriver of a plot ought never if he can help it to communicate his design until the moment when it is to be executed or if he must communicate it then to some one man only with whom he has long been intimate and whom he knows to be moved by the same feelings as himself 
To find one such person is far easier than to find several, and at the same time involves less risk, for though this one man play you false, you are not left altogether without resource, as you are when your accomplices are numerous. For I have heard it shrewdly said, that to one man you may impart anything, since, unless you have been led to commit yourself by writing, your denial will go as far as his assertion. Shun writing, therefore, as you would a rock, for there is nothing so damning as a letter under your own hand. Plotianus, desiring to procure the deaths of the Emperor Severus and his son Caracalla, instructed the business to the tribune Saturninus, who, being more disposed to betray than obey Plotianus, but at the same time afraid that, if it came to laying a charge, Plotianus might be believed sooner than he, asked him for a written authority, that his commission might be credited. Blinded by ambition, Plotianus complied, and forthwith was accused by Saturninus and found guilty. Whereas, but for that written warrant, together with other corroborating proofs, he must have escaped by his bold denial of the charge. Against the testimony of a single witness, you have thus some defense, unless convicted by your own handwriting, or by some other circumstantial proof against which you must guard. A woman named Epicarus, who had formerly been a mistress of Nero, was privy to Piso's conspiracy, and thinking it might be useful to have the help of a certain captain of Triremes, whom Nero had among his bodyguards, she acquainted him with the plot, but not with the names of the plotters. This fellow, turning traitor, and accusing Epicarus to Nero, so stoutly did she deny the charge that Nero, confounded by her effrontery, let her go. In imparting a plot to a single person there are therefore two risks, one that he may come forward of his own accord to accuse you, the other that if arrested on suspicion or on some proof of his guilt, he may, on being convicted in the hope to escape punishment, betray you. But in neither of these dangers are you left without a defense, since you may meet the one by ascribing the charge to the malice of your accuser, and the other by alleging that the witness has been forced by torture to say what is untrue. The wisest course, however, is to impart your design to none, but to act like those who have been mentioned above, or, if you impart it, then to one only, for although even in this course there be a certain degree of danger, it is far less than when many are admitted to your confidence." A case nearly resembling that just now noticed is where an emergency so urgent as to leave you no time to provide otherwise for your safety constrains you to do to a prince what you see him minded to do to you. A necessity of this sort leads almost always to the end desired, as two instances may suffice to show. Among the closest friends and intimates of the Emperor Commodus were two captains of the Praetorian Guards, Letus and Electus, while among the most favored of his distresses was a certain Martia. But because these three often reproved him for his manner of living, as disgraceful to himself and to his station, he resolved to rid himself of them, and so wrote their names, along with those of certain others whom he meant should be put to death the next night, in a list which he placed under the pillow of his bed. But on his going to bathe, a boy, who was a favorite of his, while playing about in his room and on his bed, found the list, and coming out of the chamber with it in his hand, was met by Martia, 
who took it from him, and on reading it and finding what it contained, sent for Letus and Electus, and all three recognizing the danger in which they stood, resolved to be beforehand with the tyrant, and losing no time, murdered him that very night. The emperor, Caracalla, being with his armies in Mesopotamia, had with him Macrinus, who was more of a statesman than a soldier, as his prefect. But because princes who are not themselves good are always afraid lest others treat them as they deserve, Caracalla wrote to his friend Maternianus in Rome to learn from the astrologers whether any man had ambitious designs upon the empire, and to send him word. Maternianus accordingly wrote back that such designs were entertained by Macrinus. But this letter, ere it reached the emperor, fell into the hands of Macrinus, who, seeing when he read it that he must either put Caracalla to death before further letters arrived from Rome, or else die himself, committed the business to a centurion named Martialis, whom he trusted, and whose brother had been slain by Caracalla a few days before, who succeeded in killing the emperor. We see, therefore, that an urgency which leaves no room for delay has almost the same results as the method already noticed as followed by Nelematus of Epirus. We see, too, what I remarked almost at the outset of this discourse, that the threats of princes expose them to greater danger than the wrongs they actually inflict, and lead to more active conspiracies and therefore that a prince should be careful not to threaten, since men are either to be treated kindly or else got rid of, but never brought to such a pass that they have to choose between slaying and being slain. As to the dangers attending the execution of plots, these result either from some change made in the plan, or from a failure in courage on the part of him who is to carry it out, or else from some mistake he falls into through want of foresight or from his not giving the affair its finishing stroke, as when some are left alive whom it was meant to put to death. Now, nothing causes so much disturbance and hindrance in human affairs as to be forced, at a moment's notice and without time allowed for reflection, to vary your plan of action and adopt a different one from that fixed on at the first. And if such changes cause confusion anywhere, it is in matters appertaining to war, and in enterprises of the kind we are now speaking of, for in such affairs as these there is nothing so essential as that men be prepared to do the exact thing entrusted to them. But when men have for many days together turned their whole thoughts to doing a thing in a certain way, and in a certain order, and the way and order are suddenly altered, it is impossible but that they should be disconcerted, and the whole scheme ruined. For which reason it is far better to do everything in accordance with the preconcerted plan, though it be seen to be attended with some disadvantages, than, in order to escape these, to involve yourself in an infinity of dangers. And this will happen when you depart from your original design, without time given to form a new one. For when time is given you may manage as you please." The conspiracy of the Pazzi against Lorenzo and Giuliano de' Medici is well known. The scheme agreed on was to give a banquet to the Cardinal S. Giorgio, at which the brothers should be put to death. To each of the conspirators a part was assigned. 
to one the murder to another the seizure of the palace while a third was to ride through the streets and call on the people to free themselves but it so chanced that at a time when the pazzi the medici and the cardinal were all assembled in the cathedral church of florence to hear high mass it became known that giuliano would not be present at the banquet whereupon the conspirators laying their heads together resolved to do in church what they were to have done elsewhere this however deranged the whole scheme for giovan battista of monteseco would have no hand in the murder if it was to be done in a church and the whole distribution of parts had in consequence to be changed when as those to whom the new parts were assigned had no time allowed them to nerve their minds to their new tasks they managed matters so badly that they were overpowered in their attempt courage fails a conspirator either from his own poorness of spirit or from his being overcome by some feeling of reverence for such majesty and awe attend the person of a prince that it may well happen that he softens or dismays his executioners when caius marius was taken by the people of minturnum the slave sent in to slave him overawed by the bearing of the man and by the memories which his name called up became unnerved and powerless to perform his office and if this influence was exercised by one who was a prisoner and in chains and overwhelmed by adverse fortune how much more must reverence be inspired by a prince who is free and uncontrolled surrounded by his retinue and by all the pomp and splendour of his station whose dignity confounds and whose graciousness conciliates certain persons conspiring against sitalces king of thrace fixed a day for his murder, and assembled at the place appointed, whether the king had already come. Yet none of them raised a hand to harm him, and all departed without attempting anything against him, or knowing why they refrained, each blaming the others. And more than once the same folly was repeated, until the plot, getting wind, they were taken and punished for what they might have done, yet durst not do." two brothers of alfonso duke of ferrara conspired against him employing as their tool a certain priest named giennes a singing man in the service of the duke he at their request repeatedly brought the duke into their company so that they had full opportunity to make away with him yet neither of them ever ventured to strike the blow till at last their scheme being discovered they paid the penalty of their combined cowardice and temerity such irresolution can only have arisen from their being overawed by the majesty of the prince or touched by his graciousness in the execution of conspiracies therefore errors and mishaps arise from a failure of prudence or courage to which all are subject when losing self-control they are led in their bewilderment to do and say what they ought not that men are thus confounded and thrown off their balance could not be better shown than in the words of titus livius where he describes the behavior of elisimenes the aetolian at the time when he resolved on the death of nabus the spartan of whom i have spoken before for when the time to act came and he had disclosed to his followers what they had to do livius represents him as collecting his thoughts which had grown confused by dwelling on so desperate an enterprise for it is impossible for any one though of the most steadfast temper and used to the sight of death and to handle deadly weapons not to be perturbed at such a moment 
for which reason we should on such occasions choose for our tools those who have had experience in similar affairs, and trust no others, though reputed of the truest courage. For in these grave undertakings no one who is without such experience, however bold and resolute, is to be trusted. The confusion of which I speak may either cause you to drop your weapon from your hand, or to use words which will have the same results. Quintianus, being commanded by Lucilla, sister of Commodus, to slay him, lay in wait for him at the entrance of the amphitheatre, and rushing upon him with a drawn dagger, cried out, The Senate sends you this, which words caused him to be seized before his blow descended. In like manner, Messer Antonio de Volterra, who, as we have elsewhere seen, was told off to kill Lorenzo de' Medici, exclaimed as he approached him, Ah, traitor! And this exclamation proved the salvation of Lorenzo and the ruin of that conspiracy. For the reasons now given, a conspiracy against a single ruler may readily break down in its execution, but a conspiracy against two rulers is not only difficult, but so hazardous that its success is almost hopeless, for to effect like actions at the same time in different places is well-nigh impossible. Nor can they be effected at different times if you would not have one counteract another so that if conspiracy against a single ruler be imprudent and dangerous, to conspire against two is in the last degree foolhardy and desperate. And were it not for the respect in which I hold the historian, I could not credit as possible what Herodian relates of Plautianus, namely that he committed to the centurion Saturninus the task of slaying single-handed both Severus and Caracalla, they dwelling in different places, for the thing is so opposed to reason that on no other authority could I be induced to accept it as true. Certain young Athenians conspired against Diocles and Hippias, tyrants of Athens, Diocles they slew, but Hippias, making his escape, avenged him. Chion and Leonidas of Heraclea, disciples of Plato, conspired against the despots Clearchus and Satyrus. Clearchus fell, but Satyrus survived and avenged him. The Pazzi, of whom we have spoken so often, succeeded in murdering Giuliano only. From such conspiracies, therefore, as are directed against more heads than one, all should abstain, for no good is to be got from them, whether for ourselves, for our country, or for any one else. On the contrary, when those conspired against escape, they became harsher and more insufferable than before, as in the examples given Florence, Athens, and Heraclea had cause to know. True it is that the conspiracy contrived by Pelopidas for the liberation of his country had to encounter every conceivable hindrance, and yet had the happiest end, for Pelopidas had to deal not with two tyrants only, but with ten, and so far from having their confidence could not, being an outlaw, even approach them. And yet he succeeded in coming to Thebes, in putting the tyrants to death, and in freeing his country. But whatever he did was done with the aid of one of the counsellors of the tyrants, a certain Charon, through whom he had all facilities for executing his design. 
let none however take this case as a pattern for that it was in truth a desperate attempt and its success a marvel was and is the opinion of all historians who speak of it as a thing altogether extraordinary and unexampled the execution of a plot may be frustrated by some groundless alarm or unforeseen mischance occurring at the very moment when the scheme is to be carried out on the morning on which brutus and his confederates were to slay caesar it so happened that caesar talked for a great while with cineus pompilius linus one of the conspirators which some of the others observing were in terror that pompilius was divulging the conspiracy to caesar whose life they would therefore have attempted then and there without waiting his arrival in the senate-house had they not been reassured by seeing that when the conference ended he showed no sign of unusual emotion false alarms of this sort are to be taken into account and allowed for all the more that they are easily raised for he who has not a clear conscience is apt to assume that others are speaking of him a word used with a wholly different purpose may throw his mind off its balance and lead him to fancy that reference is intended to the matter he is engaged on and cause him either to betray the conspiracy by flight or to derange its execution by anticipating the time fixed and the more there are privy to the conspiracy the likelier is this to happen as to the mischances which may befall, since these are unforeseen, they can only be instanced by examples which may make men more cautious. Giulio Bellanti of Siena, of whom I have spoken before, from the hate he bore Pandolfo Petrucci, who had given him his daughter to wife, and afterwards taken her from him, resolved to murder him, and thus chose his time. Almost every day Pandolfo went to visit a sick kinsman, passing the house of Giulio on the way, who, remarking this, took measures to have his accomplices ready in his house to kill Pandolfo as he passed. Wherefore, placing the rest armed within the doorway, one he stationed at a window to give the signal of Pandolfo's approach. It so happened, however, that as he came nigh the house, and after the lookout had given the signal, Pandolfo fell in with a friend who stopped him to converse. When some of those with him, going on in advance, saw and heard the gleam and clash of weapons, and so discovered the ambuscade, whereby Pandolfo was saved, while Giulio with his companions had to fly from Siena. This plot accordingly was marred, and Giulio's schemes balked, in consequence of a chance meeting. Against such accidents, since they are out of the common course of things, no provision can be made. Still, it is very necessary to take into account all that may happen, and devise what remedies you can. It now only remains for us to consider those dangers which follow after the execution of a plot. These, in fact, resolve themselves into one, namely, that some should survive who will avenge the death of the murdered prince. The part of avenger is likely to be assumed by a son, a brother, or other kinsman of the deceased, who, in the ordinary course of events, might have looked to succeed to the princedom. And such persons are suffered to live, either from inadvertence or from some of the causes noted already, as when Giovan Andrea of Lampognano, with the help of his companions, put to death the Duke of Milan, for the son and two brothers of the Duke who survived him were able to avenge his death. 
In cases like this, indeed, the conspirators may be held excused, since there is nothing they can do to help themselves. But when from carelessness and want of due caution some one is allowed to live whose death ought to have been secured, there is no excuse. Certain conspirators, after murdering the lord Count Girolamo of Forli, made prisoners of his wife and of his children who were still very young. By thinking they could not be safe unless they got possession of the citadel, which the governor refused to surrender, they obtained a promise from Madonna Caterina, for so the countess was named, that on their permitting her to enter the citadel she would cause it to be given up to them, her children in the meantime remaining with them as hostages, on which undertaking they suffered her to enter the citadel. But no sooner had she got inside than she fell to upbraid them from the walls with the murder of her husband, and to threaten them with every kind of vengeance, and to show them how little store she set upon her children, told them scoffingly that she knew how others could be got. In the end, the rebels, having no leader to advise them, and perceiving too late the error into which they had been betrayed, had to pay the penalty of their rashness by perpetual banishment. But of all the dangers which may follow on the execution of a plot, none is so much or so justly to be feared as that the people should be well affected to the prince whom you have put to death, for against this danger conspirators have no resource which can ensure their safety. Of this we have example in the case of Caesar, who, as he had the love of the Roman people, was by them avenged, for they it was who, by driving out the conspirators from Rome, were the cause that all of them, at different times and in different places, came to violent ends. Conspiracies against their country are less danger for those who take part in them than conspiracies against princes, since there is less risk beforehand, and though there be the same danger in their execution, there is none afterwards. Beforehand the risks are few, because a citizen may use means for obtaining power without betraying his wishes or designs to any, and unless his course be arrested, his designs are likely enough to succeed. Nay, though laws be passed to restrain him, he may strike out a new path. This is to be understood of a commonwealth which has to some degree become corrupted. For in one wherein there is no taint of corruption, there being no soil on which evil seed can grow, such designs will never suggest themselves to any citizen. In a commonwealth, therefore, a citizen may by many means, and in many ways, aspire to the princedom without risking destruction, both because republics are slower than princes are to take alarm, are less suspicious, and consequently less cautious, and because they look with greater reverence upon their great citizens, who are in this way rendered bolder and more reckless in attacking them. Any one who has read Salus' account of the conspiracy of Catiline must remember how, when that conspiracy was discovered, Catiline not only remained in Rome, but even made his appearance in the Senate House, where he was suffered to address the Senate in the most insulting terms. So scrupulous was that city in protecting the liberty of all its citizens. Nay, even after he had left Rome and placed himself at the head of his army, Lentulus and his other accomplices would not have been imprisoned had not letters been found among them clearly establishing their guilt. Hanno, the foremost citizen of Carthage, aspiring to absolute power, on the occasion of the marriage of a daughter, contrived a plot for administering poison to the whole Senate and so making himself prince. 
The scheme being discovered, the Senate took no steps against him beyond passing a law to limit the expense of banquets and marriage ceremonies, so great was the respect they paid to his quality. True, the execution of a plot against your country is attended with greater difficulty and danger, since it seldom happens that, in conspiring against so many, your own resources are sufficient by themselves, for it is not every one who, like Caesar, Agathocles, or Cleomenes, is at the head of an army, so as to be able at a stroke, and by open force, to make himself master of his country. To such as these, doubtless, the path is safe and easy enough, but others who have not such an assembled force ready at their command must effect their ends either by stratagem and fraud, or with the help of foreign troops. Of such stratagems and frauds we have an instance in the case of Pisistratus the Athenian, who, after defeating the Megarians, and thereby gaining the favor of his fellow-citizens, showed himself to them, one morning covered with wounds and blood, declaring that he had been thus outraged through the jealousy of the nobles, and asking that he might have an armed guard assigned for his protection. With the authority which this lent him, he easily rose to such a pitch of power as to become tyrant of Athens. In like manner, Pandolfo Petrucci, on his return with the other exiles to Siena, was appointed the command of the public guard, as a mere office of routine which others had declined. Very soon, however, this armed force gave him so much importance that he became the supreme ruler of the state and many others have followed other plans and methods, and in the course of time, and without incurring danger, have achieved their aim. Conspirators against their country, whether trusting to their own forces or to foreign aid, have had more or less success in proportion as they have been favored by fortune. Catiline, of whom we spoke just now, was overthrown. Hanno, who has also been mentioned, failing to accomplish his object by poison, armed his partisans to the number of many thousands, but both he and they came to an ill end. On the other hand, certain citizens of Thebes, conspiring to become its tyrants, summoned a Spartan army to their assistance, and usurped the absolute control of the city. In short, if we examine all the conspiracies which men have engaged in against their country, we shall find that few or none have been quelled in their inception, but that all have either succeeded or have broken down in their execution. Once executed, they entail no further risks beyond those implied in the nature of a princedom, for the man who becomes a tyrant incurs all the natural and ordinary dangers in which a tyranny involves him, and has no remedies against them save those of which I have already spoken. This is all that occurs to me to say on the subject of conspiracies. If I have noticed those which have been carried out with the sword rather than those wherein poison has been the instrument, it is because, generally speaking, the method of proceeding is the same in both. It is true, nevertheless, that conspiracies which are to be carried out by poison are, by reason of their uncertainty, attended by greater danger. For since fewer opportunities offer for their execution, you must have an understanding with persons who can command opportunities. But it is dangerous to have to depend on others. Again, many causes may hinder a poison draught from proving mortal. As when the murderers of Commodus, on his vomiting the poison given him, had to strangle him. 
Princes, then, have no worse enemy than conspiracy, for when a conspiracy is formed against them, it either carries them off or discredits them, since if it succeeds, they die, while if it be discovered, and the conspirators be put to death themselves, it will always be believed that the whole affair has been trumped up by the prince, that he might glut his greed and cruelty with the goods and blood of those whom he has made away with. Let me not, however, forget to warn the prince or commonwealth, against whom a conspiracy is directed, that on getting word of it, and before taking any steps to punish it, they endeavour, as far as they can, to ascertain its character, and after carefully weighing the strength of the conspirators with their own, on finding it preponderate, never suffer their knowledge of the plot to appear until they are ready with a force sufficient to crush it for otherwise to disclose their knowledge will only give the signal for their destruction. They must strive, therefore, to seem unconscious of what is going on, for conspirators who see themselves detected are driven forward by necessity and will stick at nothing. Of this precaution we have an example in Roman history when the officers of the two legions, who, as has already been mentioned, were left behind to defend the Capuans from the Samnites, conspired together against the Capuans. For on rumors of this conspiracy reaching Rome, Rutilius, the new consul, was charged to see to it, who, not to excite the suspicions of the conspirators, publicly gave out that by order of the Senate the Capuan legions were continued in their station. The conspirators, believing this, and thinking they would have ample time to execute their plans, made no effort to hasten matters, but remained at their ease until they found that the consul was moving one of the two legions to a distance from the other. This arousing their suspicions led them to disclose their designs and endeavor to carry them out. Now, we could have no more instructive example than this in whatever way we look at it, for it shows how slow men are to move in those matters wherein time seems of little importance, and how active they become when necessity urges them. Nor can a prince or commonwealth desiring for their own ends to retard the execution of a conspiracy use any more effectual means to do so than by artfully holding out to the conspirators some special opportunity as likely soon to present itself, awaiting which, and believing they have time and to spare, for what they have to do, they will afford that prince or commonwealth all the leisure needed to prepare for their punishment. Whosoever neglects these precautions hastens his own destruction, as happened with the Duke of Athens and with Guglielmo de Pazzi. For the Duke, who had made himself tyrant of Florence, on learning that he was being conspired against, without further inquiry into the matter, caused one of the conspirators to be seized, whereupon the rest at once armed themselves and deprived him of his government, Guglielmo again being commissary in the Val di Chiana in the year 1501, and learning that a conspiracy was being hatched in Arezzo to take the town from the Florentines and give it over to the Vitelli, repaired thither with all haste, and without providing himself with the necessary forces or giving a thought to the strength of the conspirators, on the advice of the bishop, his son had one of them arrested. Which becoming known to the others, they forthwith rushed to arms, and taking the town from the Florentines, made Guglielmo their prisoner. Where, however, conspiracies are weak, they may and should be put down without scruple or hesitation. Two methods, somewhat opposed to one another, which have occasionally been followed in dealing with conspiracies, 
are in no way to be commended. One of these was that adopted by the Duke of Athens, of whom I have just now spoken, who, to have it thought that he confided in the goodwill of the Florentines, caused a certain man who gave information of a plot against him to be put to death. The other was that followed by Dion the Syracusan, who, to sound the intentions of one whom he suspected, arranged with Calippus, whom he trusted, to pretend to get up a conspiracy against him. Neither of these tyrants reaped any advantage from the course he followed, for the one discouraged informers and gave heart to those who were disposed to conspire, the other prepared an easy road to his own death, or rather was prime mover in a conspiracy against himself, as the event showed. For Calippus, having free leave to plot against Dion, plotted to such effect that he deprived him at once of his state and life. End of chapter 6